0: All right, here we go. Welcome to a spur-of-the-moment trigger-proof transmission. Just one of those times where I had zero uh, intention on doing this Facebook Live slash Clubhouse Room, zero intention whatsoever. But I had a client call today, and it was really interesting, and I wanted to share like it came through on my one-to-one session with this, um, actually she's a colleague of mine. We went to school together for chiropractic and, um, <clears throat> 20 years later, cause we graduated 20 years ago. She finds me on social media <laughs> and she's like, all right, I've been following you. I've been stalking you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it's so good to, to, to be reconnected with you. Um, how can I help? And she basically said that my content has been really speaking to her. And because she knows me, she's known me for 25 years. She felt like she could trust me with, uh, with guiding her through this. And, uh, you know, she's been doing the unexpected. She's now in a relationship with somebody and she had started off just breaking up and her heart was just, Broken and she was kind of broken and disconnected from herself and not knowing who she was and feeling like she's lost uh, passion for the work that we, you know, what, that we did. Like we, we were both chiropractors. And so she's like, you know, that feeling, I just don't have it in me anymore. Like I just maybe sh- I should quit. I don't know what it is. I hear that a lot from chiropractors who reach out to me. They feel disconnected from purpose. They used to be fired up about what they did. And so that was one of the symptoms. Another one was anxiety. So she just listed all the stuff going on and she's, you know, she realizes that, you know, she's this pillar of the community, but she doesn't tell anybody. Uh, Nobody really knows that she's also taking anxiety medication. So she's kind of putting on this public persona and that's essentially once if you've been following me for a while, um, you understand that that's really the essence, the core of the work that I do now because I'm no longer a chiropractor. And uh, after we've been working together, it's been a few months. She's like, you're not going to believe this. You know, I thought, you know, two years, three years, I'm never going to find this dude comes into her life who is totally conscious. He's open to working with her activations, kind of like what we talk about in our community, cycle breakers community. He's seen her shadow. He's, she's seen his, and they both are willing to work together and not run away. And she's like, oh my gosh, like, is This this feels totally different to be in a relationship like this. It feels totally different. She's like getting my help navigating it because that's one of the, the two problems of healing work is in the beginning, you're like so dis, disillusioned and disoriented with your relationship that you don't know what's who you are what's real and what isn't you lose you know you lose this touch with reality and so she's like it's just i need somebody that i can trust to kind of help me put my head on straight again so i can regain a sense of reality and so she regains a sense of reality and she's doing some deep healing work breaking free from the enmeshment the trauma bonds trauma bonds essentially the relationships that we're in the codependency you know the narcissist codependent dynamic that we're in is a tr- it's a trauma bond which is a bond to our child it's a unconscious strategy of the child inside of us to create resolution with what isn't complete so we form bonds that are replicate replications uh, replicas of childhood un- un- incomplete childhood dynamics. You know, that's why they're so addictive and they're so alluring and they're so familiar. And so she just was like, "Holy crap, it's been 3 months and I'm for the first time in my life, she's like 50, she's like I am in a relationship that isn't a trauma bond and it's so weird." And it's conscious and it's strange and I just and we were just talking and I I just I just kind of smiled and um because I know that journey, it's a path. It's a path to walk, to break that trauma bond. And um, as she was sharing and we were going over her journey and seeing all the challenges that she was facing on the road to her wins, because there's always a road to... to to victory is going to be many battles, many feelings of failure, many regressions into your childhood, many emotional flashbacks that are come up, family dynamics that start to play out in the midst of it. And you go back into these old roles that you play with family and it's, uh, it's just trying to, kind of dig yourself out of that swamp of the old family dynamics that's the hardest part of this work because we don't realize how deeply enmeshed we are in these family dynamics so as i'm listening to her it kind of just said i just kind of like backtracked and i was like wow isn't it interesting you know because i'm on the other side of it too you know i started this work This depth of work because I was trying to figure out what the fuck happened in my last relationship. I didn't know what the word trauma bond even meant. Uh, All I knew is I was, you know, trying to get out of, break out of chiropractic. I didn't have much confidence in myself. Uh, I loved being a chiropractor, but I knew seeing patient after patient, everybody's coming in with a stress related problem. You know, it's all the stuff that Gabor Maté talks about in his book. Um, He's an MD. uh, He he specializes in working with addiction. And, you know, he's a general practitioner and realized the failure of the current model of medicine to deal with chronic issues, chronic health issues, anxiety, depression, mental health, emotional challenges. There's really nothing in medicine that could help. <clears throat> and, and as he's teaching, this is exactly what I'm observing as well. And this pull in, in the direction of wanting to take me out of day to day clinical practice and into teaching people why they got sick in the first place, why they're stressed. And I just saw it, it's just a natural kind of progression that everybody's at the effect of unresolved childhood wounding dynamics. Now, I saw it from a health perspective. Because if, let me give you an example, if you were unseen by your parent and you have that anger and you have that rage inside of you that any child would feel if they didn't feel seen by their parent, but if you were conditioned that your anger is wrong or your rage is unacceptable, then you learned and were conditioned to suppress it. And the suppression of that anger, you know, time out until you're no longer angry anymore, the message the child gets is your anger is not welcome. So to survive and adapt, we have to create these adaptations that are, that are um, helping us get our needs met. And one of them is to dissociate from anger and rage. So this is a classic presentation, by the way. Somebody who has dissociated from their anger and rage and they're just in there, oh, hi, everything's love and light everybody's oh i just the, the 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 mouse the quiet lovely mouse usually ends up with cancer usually ends up with a thyroid condition look at look at the location of the thyroid it's in my voice i have rage but i've suppressed it so long cuz it makes me a bad person so i'm going to suppress it cuz i want to be loved by everybody i need to belong and so Deep down, I saw this core wound we are all at the effect of, which is, do I attach? Uh, just, do, I, do I express myself authentically? Or do I cover up my authentic expression, sh- shove it down, suppress it, so that I can attach? This, f- this um, kind of con- contextual conflict is literally every human being's journey are everybody's hero's journey it's why we're here to resolve that and when we don't resolve that we get to play it out again in our relationship dynamics i didn't see it at the time at the time i was playing out my unresolved relational dynamics with my family because i wanted to follow my purpose which is to teach but my parents always thought nah, stay as a chiropractor don't leave and so there was this deep desire within me To prove them wrong because i didn't feel seen i didn't have parents who had the who they loved me so much and they had an an idea of how it should be and i just didn't fit that mold i don't know if you've ever experienced kind of being married me kind of the experience of being more kind of like a black sheep where there's a family system of the way things are done but deep down inside you know that. That's not how you see things, perceive things. Those aren't your desires, your values, your aspirations, your preferences. And then that experience of feeling not seen or invalidated for them because they don't follow that. Well, that was me, and it wasn't conscious. Throw in a couple of other childhood traumas of separation from mom, and now you have the makings of somebody who has a big ego. You know, I know nobody around me I'm sure noticed (laughs) but the makings of a big ego but um which which is helpful you know the child the two-year-old child needs to have this kind of narcissism Every two, I have a two year old, by the way. Every two year old is a narcissist. You know, we start off that way, and wants to go out and explore. It's their grandiosity. You know, my son just jumps up on the table. He's freaking fearless. It's the grandiosity of the child that allows us to kind of move out and explore the world, right? If we're raised with family that suppress the natural individuating expression of the child the child gets stunted at that age as a two-year-old. For me, that stunting happened because my mother left to come to Canada when I was two with my twin brother because he was a challenge. So she left me the easier one with my grandparents even before I really had language to understand. But that was deeply traumatic to my two-year-old self. So a part of me got frozen there. And that's where the makings of... Kind of these codependent, narcissistic kind of dynamics start there, as this child isn't seen, and so without feeling seen, they this the child will create a, a, a grandiose kind of uh, false sense of self, <clears throat> and the solution to this pain becomes narcissism. Now, the exact same wound of not feeling seen has another solution. <coughs> excuse me the other solution is that the child then says you know i don't feel seen i'm going to merge and fuse with whoever's around me and be this ideal version whoever they want me to be and that second solution is codependency and you go even deeper with trauma and you get into like a spectrum you get into the borderline You know, so I don't want to label people. I don't diagnose or label or treat conditions. I'm just saying they're two halves of the same whole and it's all in a spectrum leading up to a, you know, like a diagnosable uh, personality disorder if it's extreme trauma uh, on either end of NPD coming down into more of narcissistic traits to codependency moving all the way to the extreme, which then they would kind of classify you and and throw a label on and call it borderline personality. And so it's all just a re- response to trauma and it's a spectrum. And they're, what I want you to get is that these are two halves of a whole. And so these two parts, these two kind of roles, narcissist and codependent, which we all have a, both, a little bit of both. There's a, always a, a kind of like a tinge of, both in all of them. There's always a tinge of a codependent in a narcissist. The narcissist is a covert codependent. And the codependent, believe it or not, I can confirm this with many people that we've worked with and they're shocked to see it. And it's it's completely humiliating, but it's liberating at the same time. And they're like, holy shit, I was blaming him for being a narcissist. I'm just as narcissistic, oh, I can't handle it. And so this isn't to diagnose or label you, but this is to help you see that we are all a little bit, it's really healthy to know that you have a little bit of each part within you. You're not just a one solitary person. So here we are, two kind of fragmented souls and perfectly match for one another like soulmates. So the narcissistic role is a perfect match for a codependent. In fact, a narcissist would look at another narcissist and be totally put off by them. Go, oh, they're so selfish, not seeing that they're there exactly the same thing. You know, deep, when we're deep in our narcissism, we can't see that we're narcissistic. That's why I highly, re- to my cycle breakers, I'm like, please own where you have narcissism because the person that says, I'm not that that's exactly what a narcissist would say. (laughs) What are you talking about? Everybody loves me. I'm not a narcissist. I'm a great guy. Everybody loves me. That's my Donald Trump impersonation, by the way. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's one of the best around, you know, I know. Um, So here I am unknowingly, how do I, how did I know all this? Well, I got into a relationship with somebody who at the time ticked off all the boxes that my shadow was just fricking going like having fireworks for. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Number one, she saw me as a opportunity. She was in her, in her business at the time she was having kind of like a gluten friendly cafe and kind of covering up the fact that she was also running a semi illegal. uh, um, high-end escort support service so she was a booking agent for them you know so, like a madam she's basically a madam she used to when i met her i was like really is that what you do she goes yeah i'm a hustler with a heart of gold you know we would just joke hooker with a heart of gold hustler with a heart of gold i found that very intriguing when i was younger i was raised with heavy duty you know religious idealisms, right? And so it was like no sex before marriage. So I suppressed my sexuality, didn't explain, I mean, I suppressed it because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, 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 uh, I wanted to really live according to the tenets of my faith at the time. And then I moved to Toronto for chiropractic school, Miss Teen Canada knocks on my door when I was in Glendon College at the dormitory and I just couldn't resist she, was. Well, she heard I was a virgin. She wanted me to be my first. Well, twist my rubber arm. I did. I was at the age of 22, and it was like this whole world opened up, and it's like Pandora's box opened, and all of this suppressed sexual energy, I became a fucking man whore. I basically, throughout all of my 20s, was like, oh, I just got to get laid as often with whomever, I didn't know what intimacy was. I didn't know what emotional safety was. It was just, oh, she turns me on, the impulse comes up, I got to close the deal. And I was very good at it, you know? I was, you know? And then so with that going on, I got married um, to my wife, Maria, lovely person, and we were together three years, and this whole idea of suppressing my sexuality it just i couldn't handle it because i felt guilty all the time because i wanted to be with other people and just because i didn't know how to create intimacy in a relationship i didn't trust myself to not cheat or all of that stuff and so i said i sorry i know this is you know i just i can't do it anymore and we divorced and it was messy for the first year or two because there was she felt abandoned and all of that stuff but it was you know we got to a place where you know, years later, that was in 2012. Years later, five, six, seven years later, we were cool. You know, we're like, we got it. We both did our healing work. We understood, you know, her inner child, my inner child. You know, we just got it, right? And so while I was with my... um this person that I met who reached out to me and saw me as a business opportunity because she wanted out of that world of, you know, the underworld. She was like, I really, I can't make it this, this cafe isn't working. I got to do something else because her, her, her problem was that she wasn't able to make money without sex work. And she wanted to prove to herself that she was able to earn a good living and not have to rely on that because it was a part of her that felt guilty. She was like, am I exploiting women? There's this this deep kind of chasm within her soul that, you know, yay, women, you know, women choose their right to make money the way they want. And of course, there's I'm sure that there're sex workers out there that like do what they love. They love what they do. They're choosing it, you know. A, a small a percentage, 10 percent, maybe 20, who are like, "Yeah, like this is what I love, I'm choosing it this prof- profession. And she's like saying, "Hey, you know this, this is what I'm doing it for. But then there was this other part of her that would constantly feel this incredible sense of guilt that, ah, is this really helping humanity? You know, am I helping these women or am I keeping, am I keeping them stuck in that level? So it was really challenging for her. So she was looking for something to do that got her out of that because her her gluten cafe wasn't working, uh, just wasn't working for her. She was exhausted. She was in a relationship with another woman at the time. So when we met, it was just, hey, what are you doing with personal development? Can we work business, da-da-da-da-da? And then as soon as she meets me and she tells me about this other dark part of her, all of a sudden, I get intrigued, which is part of, you know, now that I look back, it's kind of part of the bait, you know. So I'm not I'm not playing victim, by the way. I'm the one that took resp- take full responsibility that I was in that space, even in my 30s, you know. Even in my 30s, w- when I met her, I was still in that space where I was led by my my sexual urges and impulses that I'd been repressing. I hadn't really learned about nervous system regulation and learning how to channel my impulses, right? It was just impulse I must have. And so when we met that day and I did some emotional work on her, her um, her uh, food sensitivities were gone or diminished by like, so much so, she was able to then have a piece of uh, uh, banana bread that she wasn't able to have for six years with very little to no reaction. She's like, what the heck? In that moment, we both saw an opportunity. It was like the gods united us and we both had a problem that the other one could help solve. What What problem is that, you ask? Well, here it is. I'm explaining to you, by the way, the background of my trauma bond so that you could maybe see yourself in it. This is after years of inner reflection, deep inner work, nervous system regulation, breath work. Um, you know, I did therapy and counseling, but I got to say, it wasn't really, it was very, very minimal that I can credit where I'm at now, um, which I'll, if you don't know where I'm at now, I'll share it. Um, I had to go deeper. And in this deep reflection, I realized, ah, this is a trauma bond. This is why it happened. This is how I got caught up. I wanted to share with you how I got caught up there so that you can see, wait, maybe I'm not very different than this. Maybe my situation isn't unique. It's not. I promise you. It's spooky. I do workshops once a month for the public. And... Um, and i i go i share the story and all, like 40 50 strangers are on the call and i ask everybody please put your hand if you can relate to my story and people from all over the world different religions they're all like everybody's hand goes up because you've been one or the other in that trauma bonded dynamic you've been the you've been the narcissist you've been the codependent/borderline slash borderline. i mean depends on the relationship you've been the narcissist in one you've been the codependent in another it doesn't matter i don't love the labels i just i'm, I'm using it as a, a kind of like a placeholder as a role as an archetype really i see it more as an archetype because it contains energy these roles contain energy and this energy is stuck survival stress from childhood that plays out unconsciously in these dynamics, if you don't learn how it happens, why it happens, then you will be forever stuck in this loop. And that's what I was. And when I met her, there was this opportunity that we both saw because both of us were so dissociated from our bodies. Both of us were so at the effect of our traumas. Both of us were high in anxiety, wanting to transition. I wanted out of my chiropractic practice and then go out there and I had the fantasy of fame uh, doing what I love, which is teaching. This is my superpower. This is my gift. This is my um, its my joy, is doing what I'm doing right now and teaching uh, the people in my community how to heal from this stuff. It's like my, um, what's the word? It's my zone of genius. And I knew what that was. I just felt stuck not expressing it. And here she was. The perfect, first of all, living embodied Um billboard So look at my story Dr. Nima helped me so what she would do we weren't dating at the time she would create workshops for me and fill the seats I would show up and it was like wow and she's she would this is Nima he's helped me she's like this fucking powerful leader in a community right of of gluten-free whatever so, so support group people she had me come and talk to them and I spoke, and I said, a lot of what you're holding on to is emotional distress. That if you learn to release, your sensitivities can go down with what you eat. Half the people in the room were inspired. The other half, what do you think happened? They were like, "Fuck this guy! How dare, how dare he suggest that he's dangerous?" And da 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 da. I'm like, okay. I mean, it's a work in progress, and you don't have to listen. And some it was very polarizing. I, uh, anything, any time where you have something that's magnetic for people, there's going to be polarity, which means repellent, magnet. Magnet means attraction, right? But also magnet means repulsion if it's two positives or two negatives. So magnetic, which, you know, when you're in flow and you're on purpose and you're magnetic, you're going to push away a lot of people. I push away a fuck ton of people. People who are very triggered by what I say—it's too close. It hits too close to home. People who really want to stay stuck in their victim story, and they—they they're, think that I'm victim blaming and I'm gaslighting. They constantly, oh, you're victim blaming and gaslighting because the woman is always the victim. There's no way that a woman can be anything other than a victim. This is kind of like the third and fourth wave feminists fucking can't stand the shit that I say. Because to assume that a woman has a responsibility as well, not blame, that it's kind of like two parties are equally responsible for their, 100% responsible for their 50% of the side of their street, (gasps) that's victim blaming and gaslighting. And so, okay, all right, if I repel what you're saying, I understand if I'm repelling you, just hit that two or three buttons and, you know, you don't ever have to hear from me again. You don't have to send me DMS and get super duper abusive, which is interesting. You know, there's always a justification. Oh, uh, you know, you're, you're just being really mean and abusive and nasty in your language. Oh, because you're victim blaming me. Okay. So I can just be a complete fucking dick to you. All right. I hear you. You know, I'm, I'm learning how to develop a thicker skin as I share this. You know, I notice I, I, kind of shy away sometimes because I'm afraid that, you know, the, the, the the third and fourth wave feminists who uh, just it's just black and it's white. There's no room for gray. There's no room for, you know, it's just this and not that I'm the, I'm the angel. I'm the empath. I'm the fucking blameless. And that person is the, 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 the villain, you know, And, and I'm not just saying it's women, men do this too. I call men out on this. I'm like, dude, you know, the Red Pill Society, men going their own way. It's kind of like a, you, you know, it's like those guys going off, off the deep end in their victim story. I see that as well. This isn't a, this is a human thing, right? And where we, 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 we can find ourselves anywhere on both sides. So anyway, uh, she was my walking billboard. She gave me the confidence to take, make the big leap out of chiropractic. I, you know, and she then closed her cafe, which was just kind of like, it was a money pit. She was like, she closes down her cafe. I help guide her out. She leaves out of that relationship. And over the two to three months of our friendship, I slowly saw her merge out of being the identity of, you know, more of the masculine in a, you know, same sex relationship, same sex marriage to then morphing herself into what I think that she, based on my feedback and, you know, my hormones and what I communicated, what I was turned on by, next thing you know, she's got hair extensions. She used to have short hair. She now has hair extensions. She used to only wear pants. Now she wears skirts. She never wore makeup. Now she's wearing makeup. She's slowly morphing into a girly girl and then, upscaling her sexuality and it's like oh okay and now all of my shadows now we she leaves her old world into a new world jumps in with me and instantly we start a relationship and then start touring around and she helps me build my kind of workshops public workshops and they start taking off and we start in this highly sexualized relationship because wow what a great stat for somebody who has this issue with sexuality and like needing to have sexual validation from a lot of women i could say that i had a a madam who was a lesbian and now she's with me my fucking ego loved it ah I would just be like high five in my friends that's where I was at in my late 30s that's who I was I was that guy <laughs> I can laugh now because I understand him I have a lot of compassion towards him and his his you know blind spots thank god for his blind spots if I knew what I was actually getting into I never would have made that leap I never would have had the courage to make that leap. It's almost like I needed to be that narcissistic to be able to have the courage to just jump out and then chase my dreams. There's, in order for us to actually follow our dreams, we have to access our inner Kanye. (laughs) You gotta have a part of you that's just unwavering belief. Like, you know, Kanye is clearly on that spectrum, on the cluster B spectrum for sure. But when you watch his documentary that says that's called Genius. It's on Netflix. You see him following his path long before he was famous. He had an unwavering belief about himself. In order for us to succeed at anything, we got to access our inner Kanye. So the reason why I can laugh at him, I had I spent a lot of times hating on myself because of that. And how could I have put my entire company in the hands of you know? Somebody who has a a, didn't let go of her underworld business, she still had her sex working business. She's still a madam, but then here, here you go. Let's give you the COO of my new company that I'm taking on as I leave chiropractic. And you can be the COO, pay you salary. And while I get to follow my dreams and I had my fantasy was was met, not only sexually, where she could basically, you know, based on her training, her geisha training, she could be whoever she wanted to be. She would even tell me, she's like, I'm a courtesan. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is until I looked it up and I'm like... <laughs> so I was so deep in my dissociation that I thought at the time it would be a great idea for me to um, put my entire business in her hands and have a sexually highly charged, polarized relationship with her. Why? Because we had a shared fantasy. That's the key element of a trauma bond, what I want to invite you to look at. What makes it the trauma bond is this shared fantasy. And often this shared fantasy it involves a co rescuing operation. So she rescued me from my insecurities. She was the place that I could channel all of my dark sexual energy into. And I could just do what I loved. And she knew what I wanted, which was to be famous and do what I love to do and expose my genius, my zone of genius, which I had, which is teaching. And, I, you know, even though I still had huge blind spots, I was really good at what I did. Amazing as a chiropractor. I connected with my clients. I just hadn't dealt with that polyvagal inner child part of me yet. So I was cognitively really intelligent in my mind, but highly unregulated in my relationship and trying to get complete with what was incomplete. So she rescued me from my insecurities and kind of created a platform, helped build that platform. The sexual dynamic was there. She, I, get, I got sex services. I got my narcissistic supply from all the attention I was getting because we got successful, like, grew very fast to the point where we had to hire t- staff, team, coaches. Like, we were growing, we were doing amazing. A lot of people who are out there coaching started off, you know, I, I helped kind of train several people that are out there doing some amazing stuff. I'm quite proud of that. Um, how did I rescue her? Well, I gave her a platform to her, her fantasy. What was her fantasy? We had the shared fantasy. I was just going to be out there telling my story and doing, my, doing the work that I love out of chiropractic. Her fantasy was a power couple dynamic. Her fantasy was to find somebody that's going to finally regulate her. After I did that first session on her, she's like, oh, my God, this is the guy that's going to fix me. That's what she told me. She said, when I first met you, I was like, this is the guy that's going to fix me. And the codependent slash borderline role, not diagnosis, just the role, secretly has the fantasy that your partner is going to regulate her. That through him or through this partner, I'm going to finally feel safe inside of my body. Not to mention the financial, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's not call a spade a spade here. She saw the potential and we're doing great. And, you know, she needed financial help. And here I am. If she could just align with me, it didn't matter that I wouldn't choose her out of a kind of like a lineup (laughs) and nor would she on me. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think so (laughs) looking back. But because both of us could help one another get that shared fantasy, we completely ignored all the red flags. And within a short period of time, her abandonment wounds would come up because she wanted a guarantee. She wanted a ring or she wanted something in the contract that, she could have this safe landing outside of,, um, outside of sex work. She didn't want to do that anymore. It was, you know, it was kind of giving her anxiety, you know, sleepless nights. There was fear whenever she would cross the border. And then <clears throat> what would happen is she started getting wind that the government was cracking down and she would have to end her business. And that brought up all of her, kind of survival fears and when her survival fears came up that's when the pressure started i started feeling more pressure what are we is this going to be going into marriage i need a contract and i was like why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free you know why would i do that if you know so this is the classic dance of the trauma bond you know she's over giving in hopes of a payday at the end or a marriage or whatever and i'm you know Receiving whatever she's willing to give because of my fantasy of leaving chiropractic and teaching. And when we would argue, it started to bubble to the surface and get more volatile to the point where I would start experiencing threats to my business. Threats like when we had a trip planned, she'd be, and she was the main helper on the trip and assisting me and couldn't do it without her. She, the day before she'd be like, I'm not going. And she would. I'd be like, <gasps> and so I found myself having to regulate her emotions so that I can let the operations run smoothly. It was the ultimate emotional blackmail that I was experiencing. And I didn't know that it was. I didn't know that it was unhealthy. I just was like so blinded by my fantasy that I was willing to do whatever it took. Even be with somebody who, would unconsciously maybe consciously i don't know try to sabotage every single one of my events live events with when her abandonment wounds would come up and i would i would go into you know a rage and then i would have to do do my inner work and then repair we would repair every time we would take full ownership for our part and feel great embarrassment and then arguments would get more and more volatile to the point where I actually slapped her with an open hand. You've been listening to the Trigger Proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation. Becoming trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves To bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds. Anytime there's reactivity, there's a wound. And if you're curious and inspired to learn more, join us at Breathwork and Badassery. Or the overview experience and a combination of both actually helps you do the work. There's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. There were times when there was a little bit of shoving. There was one time when I accidentally, when I pushed her into the couch just to get her away from me. It was one of those experiences. And then her head accidentally hits the edge of the couch and she gets a little bit of a bruise there, a little bit of a kind of like a, and I was like, oh oh my God. And then what would happen, it was like the abuse cycle was happening. It would, tension would build, it would get into a volatile incident. Sometimes it would get, and then it would humble us. The dynamic would completely shift. Then the honeymoon phase would start the love bombing would begin again, and then it was back to the same cycle. And it was happening for about two years. And March the 11th, 2018, it all came to a crescendo when after an event where we transformed like 30 people's lives in the, helped transform, facilitate 30 people's transformations over a weekend. That night, another one of these arguments that would always bubble up during these events when her abandonment would come up. And I would ask for space. <clears throat> I would ask for boundaries. Please, I need to, I don't have the capacity. And at the time, I didn't understand what boundaries meant and I didn't understand what boundary violations were. But to feel threatened and then to not have my boundaries respected, that was my breaking point. It's never happened in any relationship in the past, no prior history in my marriage, even in any relationship. But in this dynamic, it was so, I had, she had me by the balls. She had control of my company. She had control of my company. And so it was kind of like, I've never felt this powerless. And when I snapped and got volatile, it was my self-protection where I would be threatened. And then phew, that fateful night when I slapped her with an open hand And then the entire community, her father came and picked her up. That was my wake-up call. And she would dangle, I'm going to go to the police. Should I go to the police? Should I not? And I was just mortified. I was like, "Ah!" at the time, because I hadn't done my true deep inner work, my biggest fear was being publicly exposed and shamed. You know, being Persian, it's really important to be liked by everyone and look good all the time. So when this threatened my looking good and she would threaten that and I would lose it and this came out, I was like, <gasps> So what would happen is after this period of time, I was in this freeze. I didn't understand it, but my nervous system was in a freeze. I was so dissociated. I was so scared. I thought my whole career would be over. Please don't tell anyone. Please don't let anyone know. I can't have people know because nobody's ever going to hire me again. Nobody's ever going to, ah, be the biggest fraud in history. Please don't let that get out. And so what she did, she didn't. She decided not to. On the grounds that we would try to make it work and take ownership for the volatility and the violence. And I was like, whatever, whatever it took to get my survival needs met, I was going to do it. It's like, whatever it takes. If that means taking on this role, well, I've been doing it all my life. I've been playing roles to get my needs met. I've been putting on masks What's another mask, which is, I'll buy into her power couple uh, dynamic. If it means that we could both take ownership. She was so willing to take ownership. She's like, I'm willing to take ownership. I can't believe like the way that everybody's reacting and responding. They don't see that I had a part to play. I was poking. I was, you know, she took ownership for that. Not in a Stockholm syndrome kind of way, but it was in a very inspiring. We actually got up and we shared with our whole community, both of us taking full ownership for the toxic dynamic with the deep, profound commitment to getting on the other side, to healing from it, and to sharing with other people how to go from toxic mess. Can you heal, you know, the root cause of domestic violence? Could you heal the root cause of why people get violent? I had to figure out, you know, why did I get here? How did I end up here? It's never happened before. I'm a chiropractor. I use these hands to help people. How did it happen? Number two, how do I make sure it never happens again? And number three, if I can do one and two, I want to help other people. And I'm very inspired. It'll make my heart sing to have all this embarrassing story that I just went through, which completely puts me to shame that if I didn't go through that bullshit for nothing, that that I want to help pull other people out of this drama triangle this this trauma bond that feels impossible to get out of and so i went to work we both went to work we took anger management we did all the things but deep down the anxiety didn't go away because deep down i knew it was incongruent i didn't want to be with her i was only playing this power couple dynamic and also she wanted money too this is the other part of it she was like also pay me this much and i was like okay whatever you want because i had so much guilt and i just wanted to pat you know placate her and whatever you want and so i was like i just need to create an ally out of this person because i don't know what she will do when i really say look i no no longer want to be in this relationship one of the classic kind of um side effects when somebody has traits that are more borderline when you trigger their abandonment wound, they could access a self state that has psychopathic tendencies. You know how, when Carrie Underwood writes the, the, the song, you know, um, I dug my key into, you know, side of his pretty little four wheel drive, you know, uh, carve my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Uh, slashed all all of his tires maybe next time he'll think before he cheats those are the words to the song i'm butchering the song but you know that's a that was a hit song everybody loves it check it out before he cheats you know she's describing psychopathic behavior she's describing you know a justified violence to property we can laugh about it and everything but it's literally happening happening every day it's part of a trauma bond you know, we feel so hurt, we feel threatened, we feel so attacked by someone's behavior that we take personally that we want to attack back. So we break, break shit, we throw shit, we break down doors. You know, I had my windshield in my car kicked in. I had the door of one of my, in my apartment kicked in because of, uh, you know, ugh, just anger and reactivity. It wasn't me that did it. The way that I would respond to threats was I... I would grab her. I say, how could you do that? Or I would try to leave and she would physically barricade the door. And so the reason why I'm sharing this is because it just got out after, you know, I'll I'll explain to you why. Um, When I finally left, she actually did end up filing the police report. You know, we did about six months, eight months of work. I owned my shit to everybody. Um, There wasn't any more incidents except one last incident. After that incident, which kind of blew up, there was one last incident, and it was the day that I said I wanted to leave, and I grabbed my bags, and I said, I can't do this anymore, and I left, and she grabbed my suitcase saying, no, don't leave, you can't leave, and she physically tried to prevent me from leaving. So with my foot, I just kind of pushed her off of me. That technically is violence, that, she, by the way, and she fell backwards and then I left. So I wanted to tell you the context of it because she then filed that as in her police report as well. So there was a few incidents like that, that she filed and she would threaten to go to the police, right? And she would say it and she would, you know, all of a sudden our friendship and that we were, you know, gonna tell our star- side of the story, And I don't know why. I have zero idea why. I mean, I can speculate. We haven't spoken about it. And she hasn't told me. I can't tell you why. But all of a sudden, when she felt my energy pulling away that I wasn't going to be telling this story as a couple dynamic, immediately that story went from, you know, we're both taking responsibility to I'm now a domestic abuse survivor. I was like, what? And she cut off all ties, went, you know, cold, you know, no contact. And I was like, I breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, finally, I have freedom. I can now leave and move forward and now move on with my life and start my healing process and now tell my story. So I've been telling my story ever since. And then, but with great caution, because it was like, ooh, I'm actually commi- um, I, I Technically, when I slapped her, I did, commit a crime. I mean, if you're a mother and you spank your child, technically that's assault, isn't it, right? Right? So when we're looking from a black and white perspective, absolutely, you know, if you've ever, if you've hands up, if you've ever, you know, hit somebody in, in, a, in rage, when you were in rage, right? When somebody said something to you, are you, or here's another question. Have you ever been provoked to be physically or emotionally violent with somebody that it was so, you were so threatened that you turned around and reacted in that way? Has that ever happened to you? Well, technically you've committed a crime. So I was telling my story, but then in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, like, How deep do I want to tell them my story and then get in trouble? I I was always kind of troubled because I couldn't say exactly what happened without putting myself at risk. Here was another complicated factor. After about a year, I had met Diana, and we were now having a baby. And Diana, when I met her, I told her everything. I was very forthcoming. Ironically, I asked her, I said, what do you do for work when I met her? And she goes, well... I I teach first responders how to manage uh, brain injury from intimate partner violence. She's got a master's in sociology. And and when she said that, I was like, okay. On the next date, I said, all right, I got to tell you everything that just happened in my last relationship. So I explained to her everything. Very, very like transparently what I did and where I was. And she was listening and she's like, I see these stories all the time. There's two different types of intimate partner violence. Type number one is the coercive controlling type. This is the R. Kelly, really dangerous psychopathic ones that are very controlling and they don't let you leave and don't look up. You flirted with that person. Don't look up and then, you know, or, you know, uh, It's just like, where's my dinner, bitch, type of thing. And yeah, that's the coercive controlling type. And then there's type number two, which is called situational violence. And she was the first person that taught this to me because from the mouth of my ex, I was for like a year hearing how I'm this monster with domestic violence. And I'm this, this, this uh, really like evil person who beats on his girlfriend. And I was just like buying into that story and I couldn't wait to get out of that. And so now I meet this somebody who's an expert in the field, explained to me that what I went through is very common. It's situational. And it's not because you're a bad person or she's a bad person or it's anyone's fault. It's because you're both being activated. Nervous systems have been activated. You both regress to childlike states and you're acting like children in adult bodies. So it's not good because people can get hurt. But essentially, this is, this is what happens when we lose connection with our emotions. So I had to find out why that happened. And so that's why trigger proof was born. Trigger proof was the attempt for me to go, all right, I'm a smart guy, but I don't have this part figured out. The fact that I'm at the effect of my trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. This is how we react to stress within relationships. And our trauma responses are at the helm of our reactivity, whether you fight and you get aggressive this way, whether you run away as soon as it's a sign of trouble and anxiety within a relationship, whether you freeze and you check out and you ghost, which is another trauma response, or whether you fawn and you placate, which is what I did right after the incident happened. I totally began to fawn. Whatever you want. You want money? Okay, how much do you want? Here you go. You want this? Okay, here you go. You want therapy? Okay, here. I paid for all these coaching and therapy. We even hired a really, you know, high-level female coach at her request. And that female coach, when we worked together, she was like, Nima, she's got some work to do. And she was kind of hinting and warning to me that you're dealing with somebody who, you know, Nima, break free, move on. She and and do your own thing. You don't need her. But I was so convinced I needed her. I had zero confidence in myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't feel worthy and deserving. I lived a life with a mother who never really understood boundaries and trampled over them. So when my former partner would trample over boundaries, I, I thought that was familiar. I was like, oh, that's normal. That's love. It's because she loves me. Is this resonating with you? So... This was a big, big revelation for me, and I went into healing, and I got married, and Domsey was born, and here I am with a new life, openly sharing my story, and next thing you know, a week after he was born, after, actually, today, if I can be honest, today, September the 28th, two years ago, wow, this is the two-year anniversary of the day that I was arrested. And I was one day, you know, my son was a week old. I was just on top of the world. I was like, "Wow, Nima, you really broke out of that trauma bond. You got, you got free, and you found, you found a secure bond. You have a healthy relationship. You can work through problems. You get activated. You talk it through. There's you, you want some space? She's like, "Go ahead. You're, you want to blow off some steam and go for a run? Go. Please go. She never got in my way. It was never the same. It was like." It just felt different, you know what I mean? And so, I uh, I was so on top of the world. I remember I was just walking. I had received an, an email from someone saying, "Hey Nima, I've really been following your work. Um, you, you, what I'm going through, your 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 transparency. I, I, I really I really feel what you're what what you're about. Would you like to meet up for coffee?" I'm like, "Sure." Fuck my ego, loved it and uh i didn't have boundaries over who we let in who we speak to who work with us now (laughs) who work with us at the time it was like sure anybody wants to get on a call with me sure i didn't have boundaries you know this boundaries by the way are an ongoing kind of practice they're a lifelong practice so interestingly enough uh i was arrested and that began my entire journey through the criminal system uh, and right off the bat, I found a lawyer and I said, "Look, I'm not gonna contest this. All of these." And he's looking at it and goes, "This is all bullshit. Like, I can rip this person apart on the on the witness stand and da 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 da. I can. What does she do for work? She's a she's a she's a madam. Oh, okay. She does this for. Listen, let's get her on the stand. Let's cross examine her. I will. And I was like, No, I'm not going through a trial." I'm pleading guilty because I've admitted it. I am pleading guilty, even though people have, you know, got off for doing far less than slapping, you know, a handful of times. It was, it was the hardest period of my life. A week after your son is born and now looking and going, I'm facing criminal charges. And so two years ago began my journey, my climb. It felt like Mount Everest because there was no, I don't am I going to go to jail? I'm pleading guilty. Are they going to, am I going to get a criminal record? Am I allowed to travel to the States? Like I want to do seminars. I want to teach. And it was like, oh my gosh. So for two years, having this hanging over your head, really, and then waking up with anger and rage. And then a week after, uh, sorry, a week before my arrest, I get an email or a note from the family court that I'm being taken to court for spousal support from her. Spousal support? We were never married. I was very clear. We lived together for 10 months. It's like, okay, spousal, all right. There's a lien on my place. Now I got to go through the family court. What the heck's going on? And then a week later, I get arrested. I'm like, oh, geez. Putting the pieces together... I'm dealing with somebody who is really, really angry, feeling really abandoned, and really, 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 really wants revenge. And I completely get it. And I, because she wasn't, we weren't in communication. This was the way that she wanted to communicate with me. Okay. So now we see the drama triangle with, in that moment, it totally validated why I stayed with her for as long as I did. I knew deep down that there was going to be a very big consequence to leaving. The reason why I'm telling you this is because 90% of the people that are stuck in a trauma bond and want out are too afraid to leave because they're afraid of being the bad guy, the villain in the trauma bond. They're afraid of it. It's too terrifying to be the villain, or there's it's too um, shameful. I can't live with myself. Oh, the guilt. So, what's the solution? I'm just going to stay in it. That's why I stayed. I was like, Well, if I leave, she's going to, she's no, she's going to go against. There's no way that she's going to leave. She even told me, She said, There's no way I'm leaving empty handed. I got to leave with something. I'm like, Okay, so. All right, so this is financial all right that was my guess of course it's a speculation right of course you there's anger there's I get it right but there was no co- communication which you know which uh, I'm I've totally been open to so okay I'm not going to communicate with her it's got to be through the court system so I remember that day what the day that I got arrested that day that the cut co- that, that, that the cops put their the, the cuffs on my hands which I've never, Never had a criminal record. Never been arrested before. I just have a lot of speeding tickets, guilty as char- charged. Never done anything. It's just I was a Sunday school teacher, so you can imagine how like shocked I was. I'm in the back seat. My wife and my my seven week, seven day old son Dominic is just sitting there. I'm like, bye, babe. I'm gone to work. And then next thing you know, I'm in a in the back of a police car. And I remember in that moment, I was like, okay, someday that means that I can be free to tell the whole story and not have to worry about getting, you know, arrested for it. Cause I went through it fast forward, that whole journey, Diana and I, our relationship has gotten stronger. Dominic just celebrated his second birthday. Um, I've created a facilitator program, uh, two new offers uh, kind of like a high-level advanced course for the nerds that really want to master this stuff, and then kind of like a lower level for people who really are just really wanting to see, is this place right? Do I really want to be a cycle breaker and start experiencing dipping their toes in the community? I started creating these offers that made it possible for more people to join, and as I kept telling my story, transparent the whole way, in June of this year, I my sentencing Because I was pleading guilty the whole way through and never contested it one bit, just had to deal with all of this like social media attack nonstop of victimhood of somebody who at one point took full responsibility for her part of the volatility and then now is just blameless, completely a victim. Didn't do anything wrong. Didn't do anything to provoke. I'm just that coercive, controlling. You know, my ex-wife was one of the um, people who wrote a letter on my behalf, on my, um, a letter of support coming from my ex-wife. And the judge during the hearing was reading all of the pe- people's letters of support. And she said, this is the first time because she's a, a woman, female judge. And mind you, please understand, she probably sees cases like this all day, every day for decades. You know, she looked like she was probably in her 60s. And she, she told me, she goes, 99.9% of cases that I see like this, I've never seen the amount of letters of support, all of them acknowledging that the uh, respondent, me, was um, fully took ownership for what he did. In fact, all the letters of support she said in the trial, in the script you can read it, she said most of the people in this situation um, – The letters of support are like, oh, he would never do anything like that. Every single one, including my parents, including my good friends who are professors at universities, neuroscientists, chiropractors, people of, you know, people who are um, in profession, professionals, all were, including my ex wife, were all saying, you know, I can't comment on. I just know that, you know, Nima fully takes full ownership and how he's responded by going deeper into his own healing work, by doing somatic experiencing, by doing all of these extra trainings to really find out the source of why these things happened, without blame, without shame, without pointing fingers, without playing the victim, by just understanding it. I committed to understanding why this happened. That was my big question mark. So she said, the judge was like, I'm so impressed with with that, right? Like, I've never seen that, right? Nearing the end of the trial, nearing the end of the hearing, she said, there's one thing I just don't understand and I really want to hear this from the defendant, right? The respondent. She said, how can somebody who's been helping people all this time, how could he behave in this way, this this unconscious way, and actually get physical with his partner? And my lawyer was trying to explain. And then the judge was like, I want to hear it from him. And I was like, whoa, because I didn't expect to be speaking. I didn't have a prepared statement. I had nothing prepared because I wasn't supposed to speak. My lawyer was supposed to speak on my behalf. So so she was like, I want to hear from him. And I was like, oh, geez, you know, this is kind of like the most tense time of my life. So I stand up and I said, yeah, Your Honor, I always wanted to figure that out too. You know, how could somebody who helps people all of a sudden behave in such unconscious ways? And the answer is toxic shame, you know, and I explained to her that we were in a trauma bond, much like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, because it was happening around the same time as the trial. Our shit was coming out around that same time. So we were both glued glued to it. Of course, I was on team Johnny. And of course, she was on team Amber, because it's literally exactly the same thing. It was... Fucking uncanny, right? Um, and I said that I was like Johnny and Amber. We we both activated each other's childhood wounds. And in those moments where I felt threat, my prefrontal cortex shut off. I regressed to a childlike state and I reacted because I was so triggered by it. Right. And the judge bit and what I was doing, please understand, what I was doing was I was I was explaining the behavior right and the judge was like wow that i've never my lawyer even said i of all the of all the clients that i've ever had you're the one that's demonstrated the most insight and when the judge is making a sentencing and trying to decide am i going to give this guy a criminal record does it really does it really help humanity the, the the public by giving him a criminal record or can i see the journey he's been on the evidence of the work that he's done and what he's committed to. And can we say, Hey, you know, if you keep this work up, we will, uh, we'll discharge the, the charges. There's a discharge conditional upon you continuing the work that you're doing. And she decided, she said, you know, it's my opinion that it doesn't really benefit the public to give you a criminal record. And I give you a discharge conditional upon the fact that you continue the work, whatever you're doing and you you know, don't speak to her again and all that stuff and don't contact. And I was like, deal, you have a deal. <laughs> and it was, it, it was over. That aspect of it was over. I just burst into tears. And the next day, would you know it? Would you believe it? All I could see is, you know, like DMs from people coming in saying, how dare you justify violence? my explanation of why it happens from all of the neuroscience, the self-work that I'm using to, to help educate people (laughs) as to why it happens, not justify that it should happen. That's not what I'm saying. Any rational human being would be able to see he's not justifying behavior and saying it's okay. He's getting underneath it and going, why does it happen so that, we can prevent it it's like saying you know fire you know am i justifying fire when i try to understand why did it happen there's no questions asked there's no let's look at the dynamic between you let's look at the relational dynamic no there was a physical violence made he's guilty she's blameless and innocent There's no, it's just a black and white issue. It is impossible for a woman to be anything other than the victim. The end. It's not black and white. Anybody who's worked in domestic violence for a long period of time and done therapy, I've had counselors, they say, it's not black and white like that. Not to say that it's blaming, but in order, what I discovered to break free from the trauma bond, in order to break free, we must get past the story of blame. We got to throw the word blame out the window. We got to throw the word fault out the window and then start to take on responsibility. And so this weekend was my son's second birthday and he and I, I want to share how proud I am that he despite all of this pressure and by the way i'm still going through the family proceedings that's still still up in the air and so despite all of that pressure you know hopefully that concludes in february i'm just giving you an update of where i'm at despite all of that pressure and having this hanging over my head all of these haters third and fourth wave feminists calling me abuser My relationship is stronger than ever. My son is so, feels so safe with us. He is so self expressed. He is so alive, so full of life. And I'm just so proud to have him as my son. And we just got a dog yesterday. He had, my son had a second birthday this past weekend. My parents came. My relationship with my parents is healed. And I'm so proud to be teaching my facilitators, the cycle breakers in the portal, how to break these trauma bonds by taking full responsibility, full ownership, not blame, it's not your fault. Because when you really, it's easy to blame and point fingers and label the other person a narcissist. I get how everybody loves doing that, but that ignores the contextual uh, trauma that both parties were born into, and if you really want to heal, we got to unpack it at its root, rather than just stay stuck in the story. And this is why I do what I do. Um, I'm gonna go down and hang out with my son and my wife, and really send so much love to those of you, those those cycle breakers who. You know, they had faith and confidence and trust in me, even though I transparently shared some of my foibles of my life. And there's people who might deem me as unqualified to teach and guide people. And I leave that up to your discretion. If you feel that the people that you want guiding you are fucking Buddhist monk, perfect, perfect uh, souls who've never done anything they feel ashamed of, well, have at it. That's not what you're going to get with me. Uh, I'm, I'm working through my shame. Telling you about it like this is part of my work. This is healing for me. As I guide other people, if you're going through it, just know you're not alone, number one. And number two, it's also part of my healing to guide other people through it. But I don't rescue people. In other words... If you're guiding somebody through without a fair exchange of energy, it's a rescue operation. So I'm really paying attention to the inner rescuer, which is how we start trauma bonds, by the way. It's an inner rescuing operation. So I love when people um, feel so inspired to apply to break that cycle and, and to receive my guidance because in our application process, we're able to kind of distinguish those that are looking to be rescued and those that are really looking to, to receive guidance and invest in training to do it. And we're able to set more boundaries. And now I have somebody who interviews everybody. And now we also have like a, like a application fee. <laughs> I was like, can you, you can understand why because of the people who are coming to, you know, they want to receive my guidance because of all of this, uh, These are the boundaries that I've learned to put up to make sure that I'm talking to the right people, people who are not wanting to play the victim, who are not wanting to just get their story validated and emotionally dump without doing anything about it. So I just wanted to come here in in the second anniversary of my arrest and to share a celebration of, of who I've become for myself, who I've become, for me, for my community, for the people who are stuck in trauma bonds and want freedom, for my son and my wife and my family. I'm super grateful for this community and who has helped me through. It, it's it, If you're stuck in a trauma bond, just know that your likelihood of being able to heal without a guide in a community is slim to none. And you can't just hide behind a bunch of Facebook Lives and videos and Clubhouse chats, you gotta actually engage and it'll be the scariest thing, it'll be the hardest thing, and it'll be the most rewarding because here I am two years later from where I was and I am so grateful for all of it. Had it not been for my arrest, I wouldn't be able to speak so truthfully and transparently with you because I'd be too scared of getting in trouble. But thanks to her taking that action, filing that police report, having me go, all right, I'm guilty, 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 do what you will. And the judge was like, all right, you know, continue your work, you know, and it was just like a huge relief. So a relief because now I can tell you what happened. So if you've been going through it, you don't need to feel too much shame. Just know that I see you. If you've... Been physical. Just know that I see you. I'm not justifying it. I'm saying there's a way out. I don't, it's never happened before. It's never happened again. There's a way to direct anger. Module number six in our Cycle Breakers Collective is about shifting your relationship with anger. Nobody taught me that. I had to learn how to do it, <clears throat> excuse me, within my body. And that's why I love teaching. Cognitive and somatic tools called the overview method that helps you somatically feel safer. And so this is my invitation for anybody who feels called, who feels ripe and ready. You might decide right now you didn't really realize what a trauma bond is, you didn't have a problem, and you might be like, okay, I'm stuck in this push-pull dynamic. I don't want you to wait until things get violent. You don't have to wait that long. You can now be stuck in this push-pull dynamic wondering, should I stay or go? Why can't I quit this person who I know is not good for me? Why do I keep dating these narcissistic types? Why am I constantly so codependent? Can I break free from it? If you're willing to take ownership and sovereignty and invest in yourself without the permission of somebody else, you're, you're the ideal type that will break free. If you need somebody's permission, there's a... There's a boundary. There's a barrier there. You know, they say it's very difficult. It is. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I had to face certain feelings that I wasn't prepared to. I had to get real. It's like any road to recovery. It's an addiction to external validation. We're all in recovery from that. And so this is what the nature of the the work that I teach now and uh, I'm dedicated to it. It makes my heart sing, and that's why I'm here. And let me know if you have any questions. Um, send me a DM, and I will actually put a link down at the bottom uh, to apply. You know, there's an application process. See, so watch the video, read it, see it. Just take that step, one step at a time. Ask for guidance, and it looks insurmountable when you're at the bottom of the mountain. But taking steps. And having guidance and receiving, giving yourself permission to receive guidance because that's part of the traumas. I don't want to receive. I want to do it all by myself. I don't need anyone else. Yeah, that was me too. I didn't get here alone. So when you're ready, please, please, please reach out. I stand for Healed Families. If you want to shift the dynamic of your family system by Christmas, let me know. And follow that link. Fill it all out. Hop on a call with Kim, let her interview you, poke around, see, are you the real deal or are you just wanting to emotionally dump? If so, there are great therapists for that. Go there. Our students have been through therapy and they realize it's just a crutch and they're not getting deeper than the story. This is what we offer. And I'm so, um, I'm sending so much love for you being in this in this conversation if you have any questions uh, please let me know and I'll see you at the next perfect time.